There is no bigger example of what propaganda, lies, and cowards will do to a community, a nation, police officers, and their families than the Breonna Taylor incident. This is one you have to hear to believe. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates, where leaders find the insights, advice, and encouragement they need to lead courageously. Well, it is my pleasure to have retired Louisville Metropolitan Sergeant John Maddenley on the show today. John retired after 21 years with the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department, but he has written a book called 12 Seconds in the Dark, a police officer's firsthand account of the Breonna Taylor raid. It is an unbelievable book, highly recommended. But if you want to hear exactly what happened in this incident and after, this is the guy to talk to. Uh, he's an open book, great guy. I'm so honored to have you. John Madley, how are you doing, sir? Good, Travis, man. I appreciate you having me today. Well, man, I got to tell you, John, I have to apologize to you. I'm a little late to this party. This book's been out about a year, and I finished it just a few weeks ago, and I thought I knew pretty much everything there was to know about this because there's probably not a better example of a complete lie from one end to the other on any police incident than this one. You, of course, lived that. But I thought I sort of knew that. I was doing a lot of writing and editing at the time for various magazines, and I thought I knew about this case. But when I read this book, I clearly didn't know anything. So I want to tell our audience, you may think you know everything about this case, but you clearly don't. You have to pick up this book 12 seconds in the dark. And, and John, I have to assume that's why you wrote the book, right? Because there were so many lies going on about this case. Oh, absolutely. You know, it wasn't about, a mo- it wasn't about money because if anybody knows anything about low-level authors is that you don't make money writing books. Right. Um, you know, we're not getting the million-dollar upfront uh, fees that all these big names get. You get, you know, percentage of, of what's, what's sold on your book. So money wasn't the driving factor here. It was simply the truth. We had been... Uh, under gag orders and buried for almost a year for for not being able to speak and our department definitely wasn't speaking on our behalf our city wasn't speaking on our behalf um they just simply folded and actually gave into the narrative of the lies that that these civil attorneys put out in the beginning because they're chasing that money and you know that was it was pretty disheartening uh, to be honest with you well it really is amazing and i got to tell you uh, just personally john your book really spoke to me and I read a lot of books, and I, I can't say that about a lot of them, but, I mean, we're roughly the same age. You described a style of police work 20-some-odd uh, years ago, what I experienced, where, you know, we had fun, good cops went out and arrested bad guys, we did it illegally, we did it within the Constitution, and we made communities much better. And you you even went in to describe promotional processes and kind of the scam that that is, and, and you even sort yeah. of talked about how we end up with bad leaders through some of these processes. And so much of it resonated with me. And, and finally, your faith in God that I know has played a major role in your life. And, and just as you described, I also have God placed people in my life, and it's where I'm where today. And you're very humble in talking about that. I was very proud to see that but unfortunately you had to write this book because of what happened in this incident and i'll tell you i gotta first ask you before you get into it man is is you you brought the receipts in this book i mean you you you've got the goods there's nobody that can question this even down to what all the celebrities have said and and what all the 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 comments online say 
And I got to tell you, I, I haven't been through anything near this level, but I've had my run with the media a time or two, and I couldn't look at it. I would get so angry. I couldn't look at stuff. They went after my kid one time uh, in the media just because he was my kid. And, uh, and I just couldn't look at it. I had to have friends keep up with it for me because I would get so angry and not in the right mindset. Kind of, you must be a different cat, man, because you got the goods. Tell me what your thought process is on that. So when it first started, you know, natural, just human curiosity, looking at things, seeing what people said. Um, and then it got to the point where it was, it was somewhat overwhelming because I don't care what I watched, whether it be sports, news, um, even stuff like um, uh, Survivor or all these, even these shows that are, quote, reality, that this topic was integrated into it. And Brianna Taylor's name was mentioned. Our names were mentioned. And it didn't matter where you turned, there was just this overwhelming presence. So I had to make a decision that either I'm going to let this control me as far as, as being bitter and being um, in a bad place mentally, or I can just kind of go with it and document things I saw that interested me that, that I thought might be useful down the road. Because there were so many people from Oprah, Beyonce, uh, uh, the... Uh, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, all of them had something to say about it. And it was all lies. It was all wrong. And whether they were lying intentionally or just being ignorant enough to follow uh, the storyline they were fed, um, impossible to say. But the fact that these leaders uh, with so many millions of followers, like the LeBron James of the world, that have, you know, 100 million followers, they're putting it out and they're getting 16, 17 million likes on these lies that I did make a decision. Okay, I'm not going to let it cause me to be bitter but at the same time i want to be involved in what's being said about me and my family so at least i have some ammunition to fight back on and so i tried to do it from a neutral state didn't always work out there's times i was mad or, or ticked off but for the most part i kept it kind of calm now my wife on the other hand she couldn't look at any of it uh, because it was instant you know emotional state of you know i hate these people i'm never watching this again i'm never doing that again and to be honest i, I don't watch many sports anymore because i got so tired of seeing that repeatedly in 2020 but that was kind of the mindset I took. It was more of a self-preservation thing for me in the opposite way of what you're talking. I needed it. I needed to see what was going on because I like to know who my enemies are. Yeah, man, I got a lot of respect for that. And uh, I know for me, uh, I can think of an incident when the media did something pretty nasty, you know, just a bunch of nonsense. And I, my wife started crying, right? And I wasn't so upset at the media report, but I was to the point of, you know, just complete anger, un, you know, unchristian anger when I saw what it did to my family, man. So how did you, you've be, we're going to get into it later of what your family's had to go through, but that initial uh, shock to your family, man, how did you sort of deal with that and navigate that? It was kind of weird because our initial shock wasn't just people saying stuff. We had death threats out of the gate. You know, we had the, the hit taken out on us. Right. So I kind of went from, I kind of blocked that emotional stuff out and went straight into survival mode and protection mode for my family. So I was thinking, and this is one of the mistakes that I talk about when I talk to, to detectives and officers when I travel is we get, we are so conditioned to be the protectors. And I'm talking physically that we forget about the emotional part of it that they're going through. And so initially I was so consumed with, with the physical protection as far as their houses, where we stayed, all these different things that I blocked out the emotional part of it. And looking back, I wish I'd been more in tune to my family's emotional needs as far as 
I was there for them emotionally, but as far as putting myself through what they're going through, because as cops, we're, we get so kind of calloused over the years of people threatening us and the stuff we see, it just kind of, it dulls your senses somewhat where these people that have never been through it, like your family or my family, when they get hit with it, it's, it's, it rocks the world. And so, yeah, it, it was hard not to, I mean, your mind does go in some dark places at times and you got to pull it back because when you're talking about your family and your kids and people say stuff about them, you want to go to that place that you shouldn't go to. And uh, that's tough to pull back from. Yeah. In my mind, John, this is, there's different stories here. Everybody knows the the lies that I'm about to, we're about to get to in a minute, but the, the secondary story that I'm so impressed with is how you've been able to navigate all this afterwards, because it, it simply is incredible. You've just, wow, you got to get the book. We can't cover the entire book today. You've got to go get the book because uh, it's nothing short of, of hell, what your family's gone through. And the fact that you're here talking to me in a sane voice, you got your logic and sense about you, you're doing well, you're traveling the country and you're speaking, you wrote a book, a very good book. That says a lot about you, brother. So I really appreciate you. So I want to sort of take you back to that day. I know you've been through it a lot, but I want our audience to make sure they know this. That literally, literally everything they've been told is a lie. I'm talking everything. I'll forget some of the lies. It wasn't the wrong house. She was not some innocent person sleeping in the bed. She was a subject of the investigation. Brandon Tatum dropped that investigation because nobody else would. Uh, she was she was in the hallway. John, you you were shot, right? Uh, you you name it. The entire thing has been a lie and what is so striking to me and what worries me so much about the state of our society and what they're doing in law enforcement is they've turned John Manley into a villain where he should have been a hero. I mean, you were shot in the line of duty. And by the way, you had never entered the apartment. No one entered the apartment. Uh, And it wasn't a no-knock warrant. In fact, you knocked too long probably, right, for some reason. We'll get into that. It's, It's so outrageous to me that this has gone the way it was and we're going to if you're listening we're going to get through the lies but we're also going to talk about how we need to avoid this in the future from a leadership standpoint but just kind of take us through that day john and and kind of the events that unfolded and uh to a few days after yeah so we were asked we were tasked tasked to to assist a different unit uh that fell under the umbrella of narcotics they weren't narcotics group but they fell under a place-based investigation and uh they had sent an email out about three weeks, two to three weeks prior to the event, saying, hey, this is a, a manpower intensive um, action. We need as many bodies as we can get. Overtime has been approved. And so naturally being a cop, I looked at my schedule and said, hey, I can work that overtime. It's going to be easy, right? I've done I've done thousands of these. And um, I took the one that looked like the, quote, easiest. Give me the apartment that's not in our ghetto area, area of town, that's not the trap houses, um, because I'm so sad. I've, I've done this, the narcotics side of this job for 14 years. And so I've been in more than my share of digging through people's nasty stuff. And I thought, just give me the apartment. I'll go look for the paperwork and money and potential drugs, but probably paperwork and money just to tie in uh, this network uh, organization. And so they, so the detectives can put all the pieces together. And so when we got there that night, uh, we were told, once again, it originally was signed as a no-knock warrant, which is what the media capitalized on. And they said, hey, the parameters have changed. Jamarcus Glover, who's the main target of this investigation, not the only target, but the main target, who is the reason this no-knock was gathered because of his violence and and drug and and running from police type history, that he's not going to be at this location. We know where he's at. We got a tracker on his car, ping on his phone. We got cameras outside the houses. We know where he's going to be. So the one you're going to give it extra time. It's a heavy set black female. She's there alone, no pets. 
no boyfriends, no kids, no weapons. And so we had some bad intel to go off of, um, which, you know, that's part of the game. It happens all the time with bad intel because you can't know every aspect of everybody's life. And so I said, yeah, give me that one. I'll take it. It'll be easy over time. I'll hit it. We'll do our thing, collect the evidence, and go home. Uh, we get there that night. We knock and announce, and we knock for a good minute on this door and announcing, please search one. We even interacted with a, uh, one of the people in the upstairs apartment who came out asking why we were making all this noise. A little bit of argument ensued. Um, so that ended up being a blessing because that's the only person in the complex that uh, said he heard us actually knock and announce. The other people said they heard banging or they heard noises. They weren't sure what. One guy said he heard us yelling. He came to the door to see if it was for him. And that's when the, the shooting started. Um, but once we finally forced the door open, uh, about a minute in, as I turned the corner to step through the doorway is when I was met with gunfire by Kenneth Walker. Him and Brianna were about 30 feet down this narrow apartment hallway. It was dark. Uh, they were basically overlapping one another. So it was like one figure with two heads. And as soon as he shot me, I turned the corner. Once my light hit the tip of his gun, I never quite got to Brianna's, Brianna's side because I stopped at where I saw the gun. And by the time my brain registered gun, it was too late. The shot was fired. I was hit. Um, I returned fire. Then I got out of the way. And uh, that's when Miles Cosgrove kind of stepped over or on me and, and was returning fire down the hallway as I was able to get out and get a tourniquet put on the leg because it did rip through the femoral artery. Um, had about a five and a half hour surgery where they replaced about eight inches of that with a vein in my leg. Um, so fortunately, you know, people paid attention in the in the uh, tourniquet class and, and they got that on very quick within like 40 seconds. Still lost a ton of blood, uh, but was very fortunate, very blessed uh, to have those guys on scene and take care. And you, you knew early on, John, you were hitting the femoral. I mean, and, and so you, you, Almost you, instantly. you, you praise the tourniquet because uh, if not for that, we wouldn't be talking today. Right. Yeah, no, as soon as, as soon as I got hit, after I returned fire, I put my hand to put pressure on it because I knew I'd been shot. Um, and as soon as I did, it was just full blood. And I knew just from working the streets so long, you see so many gunshot victims, that usually a through and through in the leg or hitting the leg. It, it has some blood, but not a lot. You know, yeah. not like a head wound or, or an artery bleed. And when I felt that, I instantly knew from the placement of the shot and from the amount of blood uh, what had taken place. And I yelled that at the doorway to the to the guy who was the breacher standing right across from me yeah i mean pretty incredible it's uh the warrant was ran on friday the 13th i found that pretty interesting and and like you said it was it was a huge event i believe you said there were 45 detectives at the briefing they were hitting multiple houses and 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 this was not some women the wheel search warrant that some patrol officer you know snatched a guy off the streets a few days earlier this was a long-term investigation uh, that had every merit to do everything that, that you that you did, and and I have to think initially you may not have known uh, what this was going to turn into. When did you finally start realizing this was going to be something that was going to be really big? It was kind of two parts to that. So when I woke up in the hospital, one of the first things I asked my wife after surgery, I said, "Was anybody else hit?" And she said, "Yes, a female." And that's when my heart sunk because I knew the person that shot me was more than likely a male because. It was the taller of the two figures. And so, and I also knew she was black. So now I've got in my mind, great, a white cop shoots an unarmed black female, not the person that shot me anyway. Don't know if she was armed or not, but the person that shot me was not her. And so my instant thought was, this is every cop's worst nightmare in two ways. Number one, you never want to shoot somebody who's innocent or doesn't deserve it. But number two, now you're a white cop shooting an unarmed black person. So I thought, this is going to go bad. 
the fortunate thing was COVID had just kicked off. That was the very day that uh, the president kind of shut the country down. He was talking every day for hours. The governors were speaking. Our mayor was speaking. So it kind of got overshadowed for about a month, month and a half. Uh, that's until Ahmaud Arbery took place and Ben Crump got on that case. And once he did, the one of the attorneys for Breonna Taylor's mom uh, had gone to law school and interned under Ben Crump, so she knew him. She reached out to him and said, hey, is a black female shot by a white cop not getting enough national attention? Can you help? And these are her words, not mine. And he said, sure, jump right on it. You know, he saw the dollar signs. Why wouldn't he? It's his thing. So once he got on board, then things just started picking up. And then we knew things were going to go south. You could just feel the tension uh, in the city building up. Well, and it's really amazing to me. Uh, ben Crump is not a real lawyer. And there's why I say that. He's never going to be in front of a jury. He's never going to try a case. He's a propaganda machine, and he goes where the money is. Uh, you say in your book that he knows he's lying, and of course he knows he's lying because he's, he knows what these facts are. He's presented with the facts, but he purposely either lies straight out or lies by omission, and that's my opinion, Ben. I doubt he's listening, but it's certainly my opinion of that. Uh, it's amazing, though, how people are scared of this guy because you and I both, John, have been around a lot of lawyers. As long as this guy's a top-shelf lawyer that you got to be scared of in front of a trial, right? But oh, he mumbles through his words. He right, right. I mean, I know people that know him, and they just laugh. They they laugh behind the scenes that this guy is able to manipulate politicians and the media and do everything that he that he's been able to do. Uh, and it's just amazing, right? That as soon as his name is placed on something, the city caves and and the media goes crazy for it. And it's just a charlatan act. It's really amazing. And that's when you saw it turn. When he got involved, it turned, right? 100%. 100%. It was like overnight things changed. And Travis, what you know, your whole topic here about leadership, this goes to show that city leadership fails proportionately by even, number one, giving this guy a platform, but then by giving him credibility by paying him. If you would just fight this buffoon once in a while and offset some of these lies and beat him in court, he would back off. But you keep feeding this animal, and he keeps coming, and and this is what we're going to get until we shut it down. Well, I have to think that he's laughing at us, like because he knows what he's doing. It's, I mean, this is not he's rocket a, science. He knows that he's flat out lying, and that these cities just cave. And I, I've got I've got a pretty easy rule, man. If someone lies to me, I, I'm out. I'm done. So why these cities keep caving? to a serial liar is pretty amazing. And, and you don't have to believe me. Go look at what he said. He, what he says is directly opposite of many of these cases, especially in your case, John. I mean, right. it's really amazing. Uh, and, and he may not be held accountable on this side of eternity, but he will be held accountable. You cannot operate your life like that and win in the end. He may have his nice houses or right. whatever he's got, but trust me, that will come one day unless he repents of that. But you're right about the leadership. It's, I mean, I've seen leaders I know that shaking their boots if they hear the words of Ben Crump or they hear the words consent decree or they hear the words that uh, the, the news is, what, if the truth is on your side, we have to be more capable than what we are doing now. And in, in, in your case, John, your city had the receipts. They had the goods. They had the truth. What happened? What, 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 what went on to let this occur? Because I need people to understand this because... People want to blame the media. They want to blame uh, the activists. They want to blame the politicians. They even want to blame Ben Crump. None of them are to blame because those people will act the way they have always acted. What has changed is leadership in law enforcement has cowered down 
And there's just, for some reason, they have been incapable of simply just telling the truth. That's all we're asking for, John. Why didn't Louisville just come out and say, here's what happened? Man, Travis, I wish I had an exact answer for you, but (laughs) number one, leadership will not talk to me. I've requested meetings. I've been shot down. Uh, From the second day in the hospital, the chief came in, and I wouldn't recommend this to people, but I knew I had done nothing wrong. I had this kind of, when I woke up, it was weird. It was like a, a DVD recording in my brain of what went on that night. And when the chief came in, he and I talked for about two hours by ourselves in the hospital room. I told him everything, laid every fact out that happened. He had it. Plus, he had all the documents. Anything he requested, he would get. So he had all this in his hand. I think, honestly, I think they thought the same thing I thought, that, oh, this is bad, but COVID's here. Let's just put our head in the sand and hope it passes. But then once it didn't, they were stuck because our mayor had already taken up the side of Breonna Taylor's family and said, we need justice for Breonna Taylor. He'd already started to bow down to the mob going, number one, he's a super progressive liberal that has run our city in the ground. Um, but he kind of stood up, stood behind the mob and was like, hey, yeah, if I could fire them, I would, but they're protected under uh, Kentucky statutes, you know, until we can prove X, Y, and Z. And, and so he had already kind of taken his position with them. The governor had already allowed um, her, her attorneys and her mom on his stage two different times during COVID on, on TV denouncing us, calling us white supremacists, calling us racist, bad cops, dirty cops need to be fired. And for some reason, they had already given them their platform. But then once we started pushing back, they totally shut down the city and the government did, and, and we got zero help. So I don't know the true answer other than maybe they had already dug their heels in, and, and we know politicians and leaders do not ever admit they're wrong. Yeah, it's just – they're not going to talk to you because they know what they've done. And that's just what people need to also understand. They know what they, just like we know what they've done. They know what they've done. And I, they're not, I mean, I hate to be then the rest of their lives trying to sleep with that, but they know what they've done. But how did, it's amazing to me because how did they think it was going to end when you do that? When you, when you, when you don't tell the truth and you go along with this, of course, it's going to end the way it's ending now, which is, Louisville's crime is at an all-time high. You're already number one in Kentucky. You're one of the top five in the nation. You now have a pending consent decree, which is insanity. Uh, DLJ looks at years and years of data, millions of contacts, and comes up with 11 things that they think are wrong as far as biased action. It's crazy that, that we agree to that. Uh, so it's going to end in the total destruction of the city of Louisville. So how they don't realize this, I don't know whether it's because they think, hey, I'll be long gone, I'll be retired. I know what inside the police department they're thinking. Hey, I work for the mayor. I need my pension. I don't want anything to happen to me. It's just pure cowardice. That's why we talk. That's why we talk about courageous leadership. Sometimes it's going to be painful to be to tell the truth, to be to be courageous when it comes to leadership. But there is no other way because the other way is we're staring at it and talking about it right now, John. Yeah, the one of the biggest failures in policing period across the nation is we want people to believe us when we say something, right? But we refuse to be transparent when we actually screw up. So then when it comes time for us to say, no, we didn't screw up here. Here's what it is. Nobody has faith in that because they've been lied to so many times or the cover-up has taken place. And that's just a fact. And it's not the guys on the street. Those guys are doing their job. They're working their butts off. They're, they're risking their lives. It's the guys behind the desk that never have to face those challenges, that never have to put their neck out. And all they do is try to twist things and contort things in a way that, quote, best fits uh, the needs of the department. But it, it actually hurts it in the end because, so many lies take place. Then you've got distrust from the community. Even the people that back the police are now looking at things going, man, is that real? Is that for real? I, I don't know. 
Um, I know I'm one of those. So, you know, I can imagine what the public who's never, because we're, I mean, let's face it, as cops, when we're in this situation, when we're working for our department, we are biased for our department, for the most part. There are things we see that are screwed up and people who shouldn't be in leadership. But overall, we're going to defend our department. But I'll tell you, Travis, the more I've stepped away from it and looked at things nationwide, I scratch my head a little bit and go, man, I can kind of see the other side's point in some areas because, you know, we get in there and we don't see the forest for the trees because we are doing the right thing. So we assume those around us are. And, and that's just not always the case. No, I think we're playing a little of the game here. I think you're dead on, John. I think, unfortunately, the profession is closer to literally dying than ever before. I think if we continue down this path, you won't see many municipal police departments in the future. You may see sheriff's departments because they seem to be kind of doing the right thing and because and their sole mission is to fight crime because the sheriff wants to get reelected. But a lot of your larger municipalities, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what the next five or six years holds because what's crazy to me is we've seen how doing what Louisville did backfires um, rapidly. I mean, we see the end result of how destructive it is. But city after city after city continues down the same playbook. It's like we're not learning from this. And if you're in and around Louisville, I hate to tell you, but it's just getting started. You think crime is bad now. The leadership in that city has set you up to literally be the next Portland and Seattle. Right. And you know what's funny, Travis? You talk about this consent, consent decree from the uh, DOJ. Did you know that in Obama's presidency, we were the flagship department for 21st century policing? So everything they're condemning us on are the are the roots and the the playbook that they laid out that's going to make 21st century policing um, what it is. And so we did what Obama laid out, and 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 all the the little hug a thug policing and the the gingerbread man training where you had to go in and be you know uh, sensitive to everybody's needs. And look where it got us. Now we got a consent decree for doing what they asked us to do. And that's just kind of the, the, the blame game that goes around because I read that decree, the things you talked about, probably 80% of them are false and a bunch of them are their feelings or there's no proof here, but we think this happens. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's a joke, man. It, it's, it's such a scam joke. that they, they, they said that Louisville police officers had committed federal crimes, but you don't see any of that evidence. You don't see them prosecuting. And when you're, and when the citizens there in Louisville goes, well, hey, we need justice for these federal crimes, the DOJ says, well, we're not going to show you because it doesn't exist. We know that. Right. Uh, we know that. So uh, it's a, to, once again, the DOJ has never had a consent decree that they, were, they had to prove. Cities voluntarily, leaders voluntarily go into them. And we have 30 years of history where it destroys cities. It's just crazy to me. But somebody's got to talk about, John, I'm so glad that, that you have spoke, you're, you're speaking up and talking about this because we need more of that. And you talk about how destructive and cowardly the leadership was. They dropped charges on the guy that shot you. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, and, you know, let me, let me tell you this, Travis. So from the investigation they did, which there were some holes in it, uh, because, like, we've got, I've got a recording of one of his friends saying he talked to, to Kenneth Walker, the guy that shot me, talked to his mother on scene. He knew her. He went to school with Kenneth Walker. This guy's a police officer, a black police officer, who has later come out against me. But in this time, he was interviewed right after the incident. And they asked him, did anybody say anything to you? Yes, his mom approached me. She said she knew me, so she came to me and said, hey, Kenny called me. I don't know what's going on. He called me and said, they're at the door. I said, who's at the door, baby? He said, it's the police. I got to go. That was never followed up on. There was never, her phone 
was never looked at the the um, the call log to see when that call was made or from what number. There were three there were three cell phones in the apartment: one on Kenneth Walker, one on Brianna Taylor, and one on the side of the bed. They downloaded the two: the one on Kenneth Walker and the one from Brianna Taylor. As far as call logs, they couldn't get into her phone to download messages and all that. Um, but the third one, the FBI took, and we have no idea what calls were made to or from that phone uh, or any data on it, and they won't share it. And so, you know, all these these things you look at could have helped us, but nothing was followed up on. Or if it was, it's hidden in a file somewhere that we don't have access to because we did freedom of information requests for the FBI several times. They kept denying it. They won't give us anything. Um, and and the, the fact that, but take that out, okay? Say that evidence wasn't there. And I could see a liberal jury in Louisville with a good attorney saying, you can't prove he heard you say police. You know what? As a human being that's got logic and expects other people to have logic, I can stand back and go, okay, I get it. That's fine. Drop the charges uh, because I can see where we lose it in court. I hate it. I don't want it. I'm willing to go to trial and fight this out. But from a logical standpoint, I can stand back and go, okay, I can see where we might lose this. Um, but the fact of the matter is, number one, I wasn't even notified when they permanently dropped the charges. I found out on social media. So that was kind of a kick in the face. Uh, then they turned around and gave him $2 million for shooting me. Um, and that's not in the book. So people won't know that. But they paid him $2 million uh, for his, his suffering. And then, I believe this is in your book, you – people believe he went back to doing criminal activity and the police department was told to stand down. Oh yeah. Yeah. As soon as he was released. Uh, I mean, see, I mean he, this is incredible, man. I, it's so insane, right? Yeah, he's off limits. Uh, Brianna Taylor's mother, who's part of a motorcycle club that the feds had an active case already buying guns from them illegally. Uh, she was put off limits. She wasn't allowed. Nobody was allowed to go after her. So it, it's, it's a lot of corruption, a lot of, uh, politics totally running the ship here, steering the ship. And like you said, man, we're heading right toward that iceberg. And, and unless something changes, uh, it's just a matter of time. And what you went through, uh, John, I mean, there was a $50,000 bounty for your, for, on your head. Uh, you, you had to have executive protection. You had to move. You had to move your family. I mean, th- those threats are, are real today. Kind of talk to, talk to us about that. And did anybody in the city, did any leadership in the city stand up and try to mitigate any of this? No, not one person. Uh, not in our city. I reached out to both of my senators. Uh, they refused to help. Um, so a lot, you know, we were right in those 2020 elections and everybody is so, these politicians are so worried about re-election that they don't care about their people. It's not the constituents. It's all about that next election. Um, so there was zero help in the city, zero help from from any of our elected officials or even leadership in my police department. And um, so, yeah, the, the murder for hire was taken out by Brianna Taylor's mother, who, again, is part of this criminal motorcycle club that sells guns, sells drugs, does a lot of violence. Uh, their name is uh, No Haters, and they're part of Sin City, which is out of Chicago. And one, two different informants came forward, one from our department, one from the ATF, saying, hey, they've taken a hit on this guys. Here's who's going to do it. Here's how they're going to couple of different ways they talked about doing it and the FBI took the case. So initially I was like, Oh great. The FBI's got it, man. This is the number one law enforcement agency. They've got the resources. They got the investigative abilities. They got the way to tap into things. They're going to take care of it. Little did I know that they weren't really worried about that. They were tapping into our stuff. They were, they downloaded, they went in and got our Apple information and got all the stuff off our phones and our social media 
where at the same time, they said the optics look bad going against a, a black national victim's mother. So they dropped that case after 10 days and would not follow through with it and lied about it for months, would not tell us the truth, even though I had some inside knowledge of the truth, lied and lied and lied, would not take meetings with us, would not update us on a case, would not treat us as victims. All they treated us as is criminals and wanted to, to examine us on and say we did criminal activity that and, and that's what a lot of people didn't realize, John. And I didn't, I don't know if I realized it. Like there was a real fear they were going to arrest you. Like literally, let's, let's just let our audience soak this in. You went to do a search warrant signed by a judge. You knocked for over a minute or close to a minute, longer than we, than we ever do that in search warrants typically. And you don't even enter the apartment. You're shot. And you had a real, there was a real threat that they were going to arrest you for a crime. Oh, they wanted to, man. It was the tactics they use and the, the type of intimidation they attempt. Fortunately, I'll tell you what, Travis, if I only had two or three years on the police department, I don't know what I would have done because I didn't have the experience or the connections or the knowledge of how this game is played. Because what they did with their intimidation, I mean, it's no fun. I can't imagine not knowing kind of what was coming, uh, but being on this side of it, you can kind of play chess with them and go, ah, I know what angle they're taking here and kind of shut it off or, or shut it down and be like, no, you know, I'm not talking to you. And that's the, that's the big thing that I tell other cops when I go out, just don't talk, use your rights. They're there for a reason, because I think one of the guys in this case is innocent. The sergeant of the guys in that unit who got charged, I think he is, I don't know all the ins and outs, but from all I've heard, I don't know him real well. Great guy. Uh, follows the rules, does all the right things, but they interviewed him four or five different times. And I think in one of those interviews, he said something different than the other times and they charged him with that. So I just don't trust them. Um, and I'm not saying there's not good agents because there are the guys that had our case were ticked off. They're good guys. They really are. They wanted to do the right thing. They tried, they got locked out of the account. One of the guys got kicked off the floor for um, confronting one of the, the, the leaders saying, Hey, this is, you know, bull crap. They're coming after cops. What are we doing? They kicked him off the floor, revoked his key card. So they play very manipulative uh, games, even with their own people. And it's, it's a pretty sad state of affairs. Well, man, you have lived it out and it's pretty incredible to the point where GoFundMe shuts you down, but they let the guy that shoots you keeps his page up. How much money the guy, I mean, he got money on that on top of the 2 million, right? Yeah, he got uh, three hundred, a little over three hundred fifty thousand. I mean, the message: if you're a Louisville cop working the streets right now, you got to be thinking to yourself, "Holy crap, man! I can get shot, do my job, and threaten to go to jail, and the other guy's getting paid." I mean, the message that it's sending to not only Louisville but the rest of law enforcement is pretty incredible. And I got, I got, I mean. Obviously, you've thought about a defamation lawsuit. I think I know the difficulty in those. Did you have you, have you been able to get any attorneys? Uh, because there are a lot of them are cowards too, right? Have you been able to get any attorneys to talk to you about that? Well, let's start with the criminal attorneys first. Okay. So naturally, if you get charged or if you're getting investigated and they read you your rights, you want the best attorney you can get. So I called the majority of the top attorneys in the world, the guys I didn't want to go against in, in trial. And there was excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. So I got to one guy who I respected and he was like, yeah, I'll take your case. And I was like, good, finally. I mean, after like eight, eight or nine different people. And the next day he calls me back. He says, man, I'm so sorry. He said, uh, my wife's been crying all night because 
this was right in the heat of everything. And anybody that even acted like they were going to support us was getting uh, doxxed and attacked. And, and like even the, the publishing company that was going to uh, do my first book, you know, Simon and Schuster then got attacked. They dropped it. The publishing company got doxxed. Their employees all got threatened. So they, they dropped the book too. And the so irony, John, John, the irony is this is, this is why it keeps happening because keep, people keep bending, bending over for it. Yeah. Yeah. But that attorney finally told me, he said, look, man, my son's got my name. He's getting ready to graduate law school. He's coming to work for me. A law firm's in my name. Um, my wife's scared to death. I'm sorry. You know, I, you know, I, I uh, represent thugs and criminals. And if I take you on, my law firm's done. And plus, I fear for my family's safety. I said, you know what? I don't agree with you, but I respect you enough that you at least told me, so thank you. And I do have respect for that guy for at least being honest, unlike all the other ones that lied. Um, but then when it came time, so I ended up with a, a civil attorney as my criminal attorney. Uh, he did have some previous uh, federal a AUSA experience years ago, uh, but at least he had a little bit of criminal experience to him. But So we, one of the guys had to get a guy from Ohio. One had to get a guy from another part of the state because we just couldn't get representation in Louisville. Nobody would touch us. So on the civil side, I do have an attorney, um, but we can't sue anybody because as a police officer, you're considered a public official, which puts you in the category of a uh, public figure. So, you know, they don't pay us like public figures. We're not out there representing our department on the TV or on the news or, or, or doing all the things that a public figure would do. However, the Supreme Court has said that's what we are. So defamation doesn't apply, only malice. And to prove malice, you have to, you have to prove that they knew what they were saying was a lie and they did it with the intent to hurt you, which is virtually impossible now i do have a lawsuit going against kenneth walker's attorney because he did have all the facts he even got on air and said i know every detail of this case in and out i know they're this and that then he said that, that we went in and we assassinated we broke in assassinated this girl um and then covered up the murder by charging her boyfriend and he said something else and i can't remember then he turned around and said well this is when when we made a statement about it my attorney he said yeah well this is the way uh uh, racist, dirty cops act. And so we are suing him. That's in the courts right now. We'll see how it plays out. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame that as far as I tried to sue the city, nobody would touch it because everybody in the city is so tied in in some way uh, to different politicians and, and these law firms are scared they're not going to get contracts through the city and different things that, that yeah, it's it's a system definitely rigged against the good guys. Well, you've you've discovered a part of the criminal justice system that I had to uh, that I've recently discovered in the last several years. But people need to know that uh, those of us that work in law enforcement, we sort of have this fantasy about our system that we work in. But when you're on the other side of it, it really changes things. And unfortunately, you've had to experience that. And uh, one of the last questions I want to ask you, John, is let's just back this thing up the day after it happens. And you you're running the city of Louisville, right? You're the police chief. They could have avoided all of this. What should they have done? Oh, man, it's so easy. Right, it is. Had we had, had, had we had body cameras, they would have released the footage within 24 hours, which would have shown everything. However, since we didn't have body cams, they said, oh, we can't release anything because it will impede the investigation. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a lie, number one. We're not talking about the investigation as far as into the shooting. We're talking about the reason we were there. Just explain that. Just give the reason we were there. Because the big thing Ben Crump came out with and, and others came out with was um, we had the wrong address and she was asleep in her bed. 
we that Jamarcus Glover had been in custody for 10 hours prior to us going there, um, that we didn't find anything as far as money, drugs, or or uh, paperwork. All that's a lie. Right. And and that we didn't knock and announce. There was a no-knock warrant. And all they had to do, they all that was refutable from day one, except maybe the knock and announce part. That was that took a while for investigators to get those statements. But everything else was documented from day one that all they had to do was hold a warrant up or give it to the press and go, no, her name's on there, her address is on there, her car's on there, her social's on there, her bank account's on there. Everything's on this warrant. This is her. They were at the right location. Jamarcus Glover was taken into custody at the same time they were serving that warrant. Uh, they didn't find anything because there was no search done after the fact because the public integrity unit came in and did their own search warrant for ballistics, for blood, for photos, for all that stuff, and didn't search like a narcotic search. They did a, a cursory search of what was what was seen. So all these things were so easily refutable, and I would have got up there and held a press conference. I reached out to our city council president, who's a black guy who was a retired cop, trained me in the academy, trained me how to do search warrants, uh, trained us on all that. And he said, yeah, I'll get out and I'll get out and do a press conference next week because the mayor's a coward. Well, two or three weeks went by, nothing happened. Then all of a sudden he's on TV bashing us saying we did a no-knock warrant and all this stuff. So um, it's all politics. That's all yeah, these guys I, are about. We live in this sick world where Brandon Tatum, a retired officer in Arizona, he, he has to drop the bombshell report that nobody pays attention to and damn near gets him censored off all social media because it was the truth. And uh, but all you're right. All it would take was a city to do that. Now you would still have some people lying, but they would look so foolish lying in the face of that, right? Right. And, and what you said earlier was spot on, and is what I've said from day one. You don't have to like the police. You you can hate me. I can care less. But let's put the truth out on the table. Let people dissect it, and then decide for themselves. Why are we force feeding narratives down people's throats? And unfortunately, there's so many naive, lazy people in this world that they believe whatever the first thing they're told, and then they stick with it. So let's put it out on the table and let people decide for themselves, because I guarantee you, like you said, most of this stuff would have been avoided. We wouldn't have had these huge protests. We wouldn't have had, uh, we had, I think, now the number is up to, I think, 12 people involved in the, in the riots in Louisville shot, uh, three of them dead, two police officers in that shot. We've had three police officers indicted. One of them's in federal prison right now for acts taken during these protests when they were just defending themselves. So all this could have been avoided. There's so many lives that have been ruined and changed because of this when it was so easily avoided at the beginning. And those guys are going to be held accountable, like you said, maybe not on this earth, but someday they will be held accountable. That is what I want people to remember from this podcast, John, uh, is this is police leadership. I, we can talk to the mayor. no. You still got a police chief. You still got police command staff that has the microphone. This is police leadership that's causing this. And in this case, causing other people to die. It's really incredible. But it's not all it's not all terrible. I believe you have some good things to say about then Attorney General Daniel Cameron. Kind of take us through your experience with him. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, this is one politician that I've never met the guy, don't know him. So there's no bias there as far as him taking care of us or 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 doing something that was out of the scope of his job. But here you get the first black attorney general elected in the state of Kentucky, who, when he was pressured by Beyonce, she sent him a letter, pressured by Kamala Harris and I think 58 members of Congress and Senate who sent a letter saying we should go to prison, we should lose our job, that he's not doing his job, all this stuff. He sat back and said, you know what? I'm not letting outside influence dictate this investigation. We're going to look at the law. We're going to look at the facts. We're going to put the two together 
And whatever needs to go to a grand jury, give it to a grand jury and let them decide. And that's exactly what he did. And uh, unfortunately for Brad Hankinson, the guy who shot through the windows, he had to go through a local trial. He got acquitted on that because the jurors, jurors finally saw the facts for themselves of the case. And they went, wait a minute, this is nothing like we've heard. And so within less than two hours, they acquitted him, which in Jefferson County is mind-blowing because we're so liberal. And then the, the, the stinking feds come back and charge him with basically the same charge, but added civil rights violation to it, where this poor guy could face life in prison, and he didn't hurt anybody. None of his bullets touched anybody. And this guy's facing life in prison because of this. So and going back to, to what we were talking about is Daniel Cameron stood up and said, I'm not backing down from you guys. This is what I'm doing. And just yesterday, he just won the Republican uh, nomination for governor of Kentucky. So hopefully, by uh, doing the right thing, by standing up to this evil, uh, he'll be rewarded in a way that, that would benefit not only him, but mainly our state. Yeah, man, I, I'm really proud to see that. And I don't know whether it's 1% or 5%, but we do have good leaders out there. And, and he certainly is an example of that. And what you said about juries is so important, John. We've seen that across the country. We see weak chiefs. We see weak mayors. We see weak governors. We see weakness all around us. But then when it gets to regular civilians on a jury, they make the right call almost every time. Isn't that amazing? Which tells me that if Louisville would have just put the facts out, we're not even talking today. Right. You're trying to appease the 5 or 10% of the wackos. And that's, that goes on both sides, right and left. But you're trying to appease the 5, five to 10% of these wackos, and you're, you're, you're pushing the rest of your constituency uh, out and putting them in the dark and, and le leading them down a road to believe something totally not true um, and it's just not it's not good for anywhere yeah. oh you talk about leadership let's let me let me hash this real quick so this is how screwed up government is so the the mayor fires our chief after another event that happened with the national guard and our, our guy shooting somebody on a protest that actually shot at them um and then he has an interim chief and he brings her in to kind of clean house because it was a black female so she fired the guys that that were part of this, everybody except me. And I think the only reason I didn't get fired is because I, I got shot. And they fire everybody but me. And then they turn around and he hires a new chief. Well, that new chief was the one from the Derek Brooks case in Atlanta that screwed that totally up. She fired all those guys. They've all gotten their jobs back. They've all been reinstated because she was wrong. Her very first press conference, Travis, in the city of Louisville on TV, she got up and said, Brianna was asleep in her bed. She didn't deserve to get killed. She said, this is a case of, um, uh, she didn't say white supremacy. She said white reckoning. They would never do this to a white person in their house. And I'm sitting back going, my chief just called me a racist. And I'm still in the department this time. So I immediately reach out and go, hey, we got to have a meeting. We got to talk about this. Denied. Sent another email. Got to have a meeting. That's what Denied. cowards do, of course. And I'm thinking, my goodness, how, do, how can you stand up there knowing what you're getting into because this was a six months hiring process it wasn't an overnight thing how can you come here in the very first thing say your guys in your department are racist it just made it it was just it was another nail in the coffin that made me go it turned me off a lot you know to to, to, to my department and I, I love the guys but the department itself i'm kind of turned off to right now well man i i can't thank you enough john i mean and if you're the picture if you're the poster for white supremacy, they're really doing a horrible job. I mean, you grew up, you grew up in a, in a really poor neighborhood, a predominantly minority neighborhood. You have relatives that are African-American. Uh, your entire life is exemplified uh, Christ-like behavior and treating people fairly. Uh, this is just, 
I know I know there's a reason why you've been put through this, but man, to me, it's it's uh, it's so commendable and something to look up to of how you've dealt with this. And I and on behalf of many people in law enforcement and our profession, I can't thank you enough that you're still committed to saying doing all you can to make sure that no one else has to go through this. And I can't thank you enough for being here, brother. Yeah, that's the that's the main goal from here on out, man. Just helping guys who are in the same situation. Well, you're not only you not only survive, John. You're thriving, and anything I can do for you, uh, you've got it, man. And thank you so much. And uh, for those of you listening, just remember: lead on, and stay courageous. Thank you for listening to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates. We invite you to join other courageous leaders at travisyates.org.